Another Way to Play, episode 127. So I think there's a challenge, and what we're seeing is there's more uh, what we call transgenerational entrepreneurship. And that's where you're, you know, the second generation looks at the first generation and says, well, you're an entrepreneur and that's really what I got from, you know, your parenting. And I don't really like your business. I don't like that industry. I don't want to be part of that business. This is Jonathan Goldhill, business coach. And if you want to make the next chapter of your life better than the last, then you should be listening to Another Way to Play with my good friend, Hans Struzina. Welcome to Another Way to Play. I'm your host, Hans Struzina, Olympic athlete turned top producing Bay Area realtor. I believe that your success or failure is determined by your ability to compete and win when it comes to your mindset. Twice a week, I talk with other high performers to share the lessons and inspiration that allowed them to blow the roof off their success. So get ready to have some fun, be inspired, and most importantly, learn the skills you need to win in your own life. This is another way to play. I am your host, Hans Strazina, and the question I have for you today is, are you a disruptive successor? If that rings a bell to you or you have no idea what that means, you're in for a treat. Today, I have Jonathan Goldhill on, who's a master business coach and strategist uh, specializing in guiding next generation leaders of family businesses to scale up and take control over the leadership and ownership of their own family business. As you can imagine, taking over any business or starting a business and scaling it has its challenges. Taking over a family business has a just unbelievably unique set of challenges. And Jonathan goes into those with us today through not only his own experience, but thousands and thousands of clients that he's coached through this process successfully. He's also launched a book called Disruptive Successor, uh, where he outlines this process in a very easy to follow and easy to digest, implement, and understand kind of way um, so that other people can uh, use it to not only help their family business, but he talks about how it's applicable uh, for someone like you, me, anyone else who is not part of a family business, but wants to take over from someone who is uh, getting ready to retire. So there's a lot of really good stuff in here. If you get value out of this, of course, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because I really appreciate the feedback and it also helps me grow the show uh, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time uh, to do that. And for those of you who haven't, I appreciate it and thanks in advance. So without any further ado, let's go hear all about the disruptive successor with my guest today, Jonathan Goldhill. Jonathan, thanks for being on the show today. Really a pleasure to have you on. Hans, thanks for having me. It's uh, like I said, it's my pleasure. So let's just jump into it, man. Like you've you've got a lot of things going. You're launching a book right now. You've got the Gold Hill Group. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're working on today and and what's got your attention here in uh, the latter half of 2020? Yeah, so we're in the uh, third inning of a uh, nine inning pa- pandemic, I guess. Uh, I have a business coaching company, and so uh, my day job is coaching clients, entrepreneurs, family business owners that are looking to scale up, and that's my primary focus, but it's really shifted as I've taken time to write a book 
that was a guidebook for family businesses. And so I'm launching my own podcast, uh, following suit uh, uh, with a lot of others. And my book uh, goes on sale on October 27th. So um, getting the word out there, doing podcast shows, media outlets, and promoting the book. So that's been pretty much what I've been working on. It's been a lot of fun. So you, you're a business coach, which many people out in social media and in the world in general will claim to be, but you have this really cool niche of uh, sort of family businesses. Can you, can you speak to why you focused on that niche in particular? Yeah. So, um, well, first of all, I've been coaching since 2004 and consulting since 1987. So arguably 30 plus years of consulting, coaching, training um, businesses. And I niched into family businesses when I started to recognize that almost all my clients were family businesses and many of them were next generation leaders. So they were Gen 2 in a family business and they were millennials so 25 to 40 and i and as a coach most coaches would say you know would probably agree with me that coaching younger people is a lot easier than coaching older people so it just seemed to make a lot of sense like why not focus on that millennial uh in terms of age who's a disruptor who wants to scale up yeah that word disruptor, obviously, disruption in general. I live in the Bay Area, so that's kind of a, a hot topic as of late. And uh, it's it's something that's really present on your messaging and your website talking about, you know, next generation disruptors. Like what do you what does that actually mean to you though? So classically in, in the Silicon Valley world, we think of disruptors as people who are gonna be completely changing maybe the business model. And that's primarily their focus. And in a family business, there's less attention on the business model and more attention on the processes and the products or services. So disruption is also in a family business, just disrupting the status quo. So if you're a Gen 2 leader and if your founder, let's say father, built a business that whose sole purpose was just to put food on the table, well, you're completely disrupting the status quo. That means that guys that might have worked for him for 20 or more years or 10 or more years, suddenly it's like there's a new sheriff in town and we're going to do things very differently. Like we're going to use software as a service and technology so that we're running our field operations, we're our communications, we're all, our, you know, our purpose and messaging is going to be upgraded. So a lot of things are going to change and you're going to disrupt the family, the status quo, like the equity, the, the power, you know, it's a lot of disruption. I, I was sort of struck when, when we booked this to have you on the show of like, it's got to be my like crazy just to be sort of entrenched in this family business world because of the old adages around how many family businesses fail and the handoff from Gen One to Gen Two. I mean, everyone says don't do don't mix family and business, right? Like how it's got to fail at a very high rate, as as I understand it. And then you kind of throw yourself into the fray with that. Is that actually the case? Do you find that this that the rumors and sort of the old wives tales, if you will, are true about family businesses? And is that why you're in this space? So I think that the there's some let me clear up some statistics, I think, first of all. Family businesses, first of all, make up a large majority of businesses in the United States. 
So probably two thirds of all businesses in the United States and the gross domestic product, two thirds is produced by families. And employees in family businesses have a longer tenure, so they last longer. So I don't know businesses, you know, I, I know the statistics on making it from one generation to the next and, you know, going through the third generation, it gets down to about 12% of family businesses that survive. So, you know, through the second generation. And so that doesn't mean that they're not sold, but they might be closed down. So we don't really know. So I think there's a challenge and what we're seeing is there's more uh, what we call transgenerational entrepreneurship. And that's where you're, you know, the second generation looks at the first generation and says, well, you're an entrepreneur and that's really what I got from, you know, your parenting. And I don't really like your business. I don't like that industry. I don't want to be part of that business. It's on, it's old, it's unsexy, it's boring. I want to do something different. And so we, we're seeing more and more of that transgenerational entrepreneurship. But, but I think, look, family businesses, there's many, many of them. And they don't last very often to the third and fourth generations. You know, we have a saying in our, in our business that, they, that entrepreneurs, you know, in fa- families go from shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations which means that they were they were poor and struggling and built something and the, by the third generation they've given all the money away and so uh you know so yeah i think there's some truth to the wise tale but you know i'm here to help like change that and do you feel like some of that is just sort of a reporting and a statistical error meaning you know sometimes the first generation sells and gets acquired or there's an m a event um and or the the second generation is just like you said, not interested in taking it over. Therefore, it's no longer a family business in that. Or is it really that there's a different dynamic in play with family businesses that's unique? Well, I think that you're correct. I think that family, that statistics in general are somewhat flawed in terms of failure rates, because anytime a business sells, I think it's counted as a failure in the statistics. It's not shown up as having stayed around. And then it changes names. So that could also be recognized as a failure. So I think the statistics are generally flawed, but I can pull up uh, RMA, which is a risk management association book of all industries and show you profitability. And you'd be pretty surprised at how anemic the profitability is in most businesses. So based on that, I would say that a lot of businesses don't make it. They're not that successful. It's not that easy to make um, in excess of 10% net profit in your business every year. Yeah, agreed. Wholeheartedly agreed. Absolutely. Well, I love the concept of the family business. I'm actually in one. I, I am not a family member in this business, but it's a real estate company that I am part of who was started by two two gentlemen who are uh, together as as partners and have kids and it's their business, the Gunderman Group. And now they've built it and they call it a chosen family business. So this is certainly something that I'm seeing from a different angle and uh, very, very cool. But I'd love to hear a little bit more about how you got into all this. So why don't you take us back uh, to where your journey actually really began? Yeah, I'm happy to do that. And 
you know, understand that in your business, the Gunnerman Group business, that like if they bring in an outside CEO who's now running the business and the family members are become more quiet or invisible, you know, is it still a family business? Well, by definition, if more than 51% is owned or controlled by family members, then yes, it is. So my family story was uh, my grandfather and his brothers and their father um, built a very large clothing manufacturing business. They started out on the streets of New York selling suits at the turn of the 19th century or, yeah, the early 1900s, selling a, a suit for $9.99, three-piece suit. Yeah, imagine that, right? $9.99 for a three-piece suit. So uh, they built a very successful business. It was headquartered in New York City with a large factory in Philadelphia. And the third generation which would have been my mother's siblings. Well, it seemed like none of the children wanted to really go into the business, but the in-laws went into it. And by third generation, oftentimes you're looking at cousins and in-laws. And so it made it through the third generation, but it was pretty clear it wasn't going to make it beyond then. So they sold the business. They continued to operate it and run it for 20 years with lifetime employment contracts. At around that time that I was coming out of college and mature enough to work in a business like that, it really was, it was out of, outside of the family and no longer existing. And so that set me off to California. I came from New York here. I finished up college out here and arguably I had had a certain amount of freedom and uh, fortune that my family was able to provide. And it gave me the freedom to look to see what I wanted to do. And that's where I started to develop a, a, I call a mindset of openness. You know, you move to California, the first thing it says in the book, um, California is not a state, it's a state of mind. And it was all about being open, open to new ideas, new opportunities, new stuff. And, you know, I learned a lot over the next five to 10 years. I started a business. Uh, with a partner that was an art and clothing business. I thought it would take off because I thought it would take off where my family, my grandfather, who was an artist and a clothing salesman, I thought it would be enormously successful. I chose very poorly. The partner was not family. He was not going to treat me like family. I was putting the money into the business. He was the artist and the, and the clothier. And I could quickly see that this thing was going to go up into uh, flames. So it sent me back to business school. And I went to a University of Southern California, which focused on teaching entrepreneurship. And I emphasized in entrepreneurship and consulting. And when I came out, that's what I've been doing for the last 30 plus years is coaching and consulting and training and financing entrepreneurs, many of which have been family businesses. I end up, because of my personal style, um, getting close to the family, getting they they trust me. I think uh, that's one of the key attributes that I offer my clients is that is that level of connection and trust. And so I just more and more started seeing these were like family businesses, and I was brokering sometimes the transition from one generation to the next. 
brokering the conversation, facilitating the conversation, and maybe bringing in, hey, we need to get an, an accountant who's going to evaluate this business, an attorney who's going to help structure the you know, transfer of equity. You need a compensation committee and you're too small. So let me raise my hand and give you some feedback as to what I think you guys should be compensating each other. And so I start dealing with those types of issues. And that's kind of, you know, then it came to like, well, why don't I write a book on this whole subject and just specifically provide a playbook, like an operating system for uh, scaling a family business and, and dealing with the difficult conversations around transfer of ownership and equity and things like that. How much of your engagement with these family businesses is, for lack of a better term, therapeutic and how much of it is X's and O's and you know spreadsheets? So I think it's a good mix. I think I read an article in Inc. Magazine about, gosh, 2006, I recall, and it was on the four different types of coaches because coaching was pretty new back in 2006. And there was the there was the guy who was the number cruncher and there was that type. And I thought, uh, check, I'm, I'm definitely a number cruncher. I like the financials. And then there was the like the mentor, best friend, buddy. And I thought, check, I'm 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 like that guy, too. I, I like to be, you know, feel like these are family members. They're my best friend. I can talk to them, but I can tell them it you know, like a really good friend, you know, tell them the truth. Then there was the guru who was like the teacher, the, you know, all knowing, you know, the person who had studied and read the literature. And I thought, check, you know, I'm that person too. So, and then there was the fourth one. And I thought, I'm not as good at this one. That's the drill instructor. And that's like, you know, that's very much like on a football or, you know, sports team, maybe the X's and O's, like really making them do this. And so I, I thought, well, I need to embrace the drill instructor because that that's really important. It's about habits and behaviors. And, you know, it's changing your mindset is one thing. Execution is about, you know, discipline and those behaviors. And so super important. So those are the four types. I think it's a mix. I think, you know, I don't think too many family members hire me to be therapist, but I think they hire me sometimes because they need some way to communicate to that other generation and they need someone who's a go-between. Oh, wholeheartedly agree. I mean, I'm, I'm in real estate brokerage and like, that's what I do for buyers and sellers. And that's, I'm, a, I'm an agent. That's my main job. And having just bought a house directly from a seller who is also a friend of ours, you know, there is certainly, I have a huge new amount of respect for the position of a broker or of a go-between, especially someone who's knowledgeable and, and compassionate and caring and all the things that you just described because, gosh, it can get awkward and it can get messy and it can get emotional all at once, especially especially in your line of work when you've got someone's retirement plan in their hands on the one side and then the the young new generation that wants to come in and disrupt and change it and build it and grow it and all this sort of thing and and how many dynamics at play are gosh i can't even think about them all right now but yeah absolutely and i cover this in my book a little bit you you hit the nail on the head because the 60 plus year old who's looking at their retirement, which is not too far off, and the 30-year-old, which is saying, you know, I'm, I can bet the farm here. 
Although, wait a second, it's not my farm, it's dad's farm. And I'm not sure dad wants me to bet the farm, but like if he would just trust me, I could, you know, I could play some big bets. But, and dad's like, I trust you, but like, I'm pretty good with the way things are at right now. Like I'm comfortable, like why mess up a good thing, you know? And so it's managing that, that is the difficult part. And it's, you know, the playbook is having a common language to speak about these types of topics. And that's what the book is about, I'm assuming, is, is that common language and strategies on how to actually have those conversations. Yeah, because for a next generation leader to be a real disruptive successor, he or she is going to have to make some pretty big changes. And they need to understand what's going to be entailed in these types of changes. And there's got an enormous amount of trust and conversations that have to happen with each other. And I think having a, a like a playbook that sort of lays out how the roadmap's going to be put together, it makes it a lot easier. You had to distill down some succinct advice to people, whether they're in a family business or they're or they're in a small organization and they're sort of ready to, to take the next step, whatever that looks like up. And maybe that means taking over. Maybe that means taking over a department. Like what are some of the key things to successfully transition up to that next thing and take over for a senior person above you? Okay. So I keep coming back to this playbook concept because I think there's got to be some agreement around roles, responsibilities, accountabilities, the purpose of a business, why are we doing this? And so we wanna remove the family dynamic elements from the business. And so we can look at it objectively, like, you know, just as a business. And I think some of the questions that current generational leader needs to ask themselves, like disrupt is the successor. Are they coachable? Um, are they humble? You know, can they, can they learn? Are they open to input and feedback or, you know, are they arrogant? Do they act like they know it all? So that's, I think, super important. Um, are they, are they hungry? You know, you know, if they aren't hungry, then maybe they're going to make bets that are based on, you know, like an entitlement mentality. And that's going to be really dangerous. It's certainly to my money, if, you know, I'm looking at retirement being a few years away, that's going to be dangerous. So I want someone who's humble. I want someone who's hungry and I want someone who's smart. And I don't mean like, I want them to be smart in terms of understanding the business and learning. Um, I want them to be a constant learner. So, cause they're going to be a leader and leaders, you know, have to be learners, but I want them also to be people smart. Are they going to choose new people in this business that, um, that I'm going to respect, that I'm going to like, that are going to, you know, that are going to fit into the corporate, the, the company culture. Um, and is, and is my successor, are they going to take care of the old people? Or are they going to push them out? Like, hey, you can't fit with the technology or you're not getting the new, you're not getting what we're doing here. Like, are they going to be patient with those people? They worked for me for 20 years, let's just say. And I'm not so uh, quick to, you know, kick them to the curb if they're not doing things the way the new millennial leader is doing things. So, so I'm looking for some of those traits and characteristics. It's really really uh, interesting because at no point did you really talk about 
skill in the, in a, any particular position. You talked a lot about character traits and a lot about management styles and human interaction components as opposed to, are they really good at closing a deal or are they amazing at spreadsheets and accounting or something like that? And it's, and it's all, I mean, this comes back to a core philosophy I've personally held in, um, for a long time, which is everything is the way it is because someone made it that way. Like people are at the core of all of these things. And if we can sort of, it sounds like what you're saying, mesh generationally, um, that's when you have the most success. And then in, in, in this type of engagement, as opposed to um, when you miss each other interpersonally or some other way, even if the skill sets are there, that's when, when the failure rates go up. Yeah, I think that you've got it. I mean, if you're going to be a leader, right, you've got to model the way, you've got to walk the talk. So you do, you need to understand the business, right? So you're like, I don't, a guy who becomes, a person who becomes a leader in a company as a hired CEO, he or she needs to learn that business. They need to understand that industry, but they're probably never going to know it as well as some of their other managers or executives who have maybe risen up through that industry and, and, you know, been in it for many years. So they need to learn, they need to lead, which is what those people who have been busy in the trenches don't necessarily know how to do. So, and leader, leadership, as we see is, you know, there are, I mean, the best school of study is like General Electric. Many of their division leaders became Fortune 500 CEOs of other companies. Did they know about that business or industry? Yeah, probably they knew something about it. Were they an expert? Did they grow up in it? Maybe not. Um, but they knew how to lead, and they knew how to, you know, evaluate people. They knew how to drive performance. They knew how to create a vision. Um, they knew how to simplify things to make it so that the uh, you know, they were communicating a consistent message. So, you know, mindset plays a big role in a lot of this. Totally. And to that point, when you've got, let's say a family member, just next generation up, whoever that ends up being, cousin, brother, sister, whatever, um, who maybe has been in the business and sort of shares the last name as whoever is in charge right now, but then you've got somebody else in that organization that, uh, as we sort of outlined, hits a lot of those, those figures. How do you deal with that sort of family dynamic of that's my kin, that's my you know, son or daughter or whatever, um, versus there's this person who's been here for quite a while who would maybe objectively be a better fit? Well, I think everyone needs to apply for the job, if you will. There's, so it's got to be based on merit. And yeah, I think, uh, you know, when it comes to compensating a family member and a non-family member for the same type of role, whatever that role is, there shouldn't, there's going to be a difference in terms of how well the family member is compensated, but it shouldn't be at a great variance to what is normal. So I would understand a five to 10% you know, you'd have to do some explaining if it was beyond a 10% increase, you know, over and above what that role of that other person could do. But if you're looking at a non-family member who's arguably more qualified to be the CEO of a company and the family member you can find a, a good seat for, you know, in, in that business, you're, you're probably better putting that person in the right seat. 
a person in the wrong seat is going to be miserably uncomfortable and will not deliver the kind of returns for the the shareholders. And so you're not going to make anyone happy. And, you know, you need to put aside your ego. Everyone needs to put aside their egos. And this is a difficult thing in life, in, you know. And if you have someone who's unreasonable, then, you know, that you have to deal with that. Really well said. Gosh, that ego thing that's opening up a whole can of worms that we could go for another couple hours on, I'm sure. Um, but Jonathan, I want to respect the rest of your day here because I know you've got a lot of uh, other podcasts to get on and, and promote your book, which is fantastic, by the way. So I am going to transition us to the Focus 5, and uh, which is the same five questions I ask every guest on every show. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. First question is a book question, which is, which book have you gifted most often? Well, I would have to say that it's a book on my bookshelf. It's called Becoming a Strategic Business Owner. And it's not widely circulated in print. When I first became a business coach, it was part of my coaching package. And it's by Daniel M. Murphy. And it's about your uh, the mindset of a business owner. Um, many people have said it was like E-Myth Light or like the nuts and bolts of E-Myth. The guy, the author said that his most popular book that he ever gave out was The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. So, um, but that would have to be the book I've given out the most. If you could get an hour of somebody's time, past or present, live or dead, and ask as many questions as you wanted, who would that person be and why? Wow. This could go in so many different directions. And since we're on a business uh, podcast, I think the person who comes to mind is Jack Welch. I loved his autobiography. Uh, I didn't always agree. There were many people who, students of mine who worked for GE, who disliked some of his management philosophies. But I would say many of them are ones that I am involved with implementing into my clients' companies today. And I'd love to talk with him more about, you know, those philosophies those, and maybe any changes to them. What is one thing that you believe that most people would disagree with you on? Well, um, I don't know that I have a great answer for that question. I did recently uh, tell a, a friend in the neighborhood about my book, and he disagreed with me that most successors would be disruptors. And I said, he said, you know, most successors in family businesses, they just want to take it over and, you know, have it like be on easy street sort of is what he said. They don't, they don't want to disrupt stuff. And uh, he says, I think your audience can be very small. And I said, I think there's a lot of millennials out there that are entrepreneurial. They're forming entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial businesses at a faster rate. And I just need to find those guys. So. Yeah. As an aside, I think I read recently that there's been more EIN numbers applied for in Q3 than like the rest of the year and possibly last year combined is some staggering number of entrepreneurs starting up right now in the throes of COVID. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Very true. Anyways, give us a glimpse of your morning routine. How do you like to start your day? Okay. So broad brushstrokes, uh, I would say that the yoga or some kind of physical activity um, that's after, by the way, walking the dog, which is a minor physical activity, but either yoga or getting on the spinner and um, meditation 
is uh, a couple of my early morning and first thing routines. I've also been practicing uh, Tony Robbins's priming exercise, which I think is pretty awesome. Um, it's a it's so it's a gratitude exercise, and then I have a whole bunch of other uh, rituals around like the food and stuff that I take in. You know, making you know the vitamins, the supplements, the the fiber and some homeopathic stuff so and my and green juices so like i'm a big believer though starting your day with like juice water you know i'm i probably follow that 12 hour i think it's uh you know that whatever it's called maybe it's a keto fast type of situation and uh and the physical exercise to get the the mind so that it's in a great place by the time you sit down and work. And some of this stuff uh, can take a few hours if you do it all. So, yeah. Well, this has been awesome. Um, tell us what's the best place online we can get your book when it comes out and where we can learn more about you. Great. Um, so you can go to my website, thegoldhillgroup.com, and you can contact me uh, through that. You, I build a website for the book which is DisruptiveSuccessor.com. You can download uh, a free chapter as well as some tools from the book. And of course, I'll be up on Amazon or, or I already am um, under the title again, Disruptive Successor. So you can always connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty, I'm, I'm active and inactive. It's gotten to be a very crowded place, but it's where I, it's, it's the social media platform where I spend most of my time. Jonathan, really appreciate you being here talking about uh, your book and the the various inputs that you've had in your life and your story and, and some great lessons for us all. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for being here and uh, good luck with the book launch and I wish you all the success. Thank you very much. And that's a wrap for today. If you want a copy of Jonathan's book called Disruptive Successor, I've got it all linked up down in the show notes. I've got his LinkedIn and his website down there as well if you just want to connect to him one-on-one. -on -one. I've also got my Instagram handle down there so you can hit me up on IG or on my website if you want to learn more about the show. And again, if you are getting value out of this, please head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review because uh, it really helps me grow the show and makes uh, sure that it gets in front of a few more people who need to hear some of this content. So thanks in advance for that. And without any further ado, let's get on out of here. This is Hans Strazina, host of Another Way to Play. And remember to make every chapter better than the last. <laughs>